change for change sake is not something we need, but change that helps produce or move toward whatever your organization defines as the common good is worth the pain that the change is gonna include. Name a place that you have visited that changed your understanding of the world. Ooh. Okay, I've got this. In t- the, I've been to some amazing places in the world. I've been had amazing opportunities through Girl Scouts and other church work and educational work to travel. But probably the place that changed me the most in this visit was in 2012. I had the opportunity to go spend our summer, their winter, in Anglican schools in Australia. And so in eight weeks, I was in five of the states, five of the seven states of Australia, mostly spending time with um, Anglican school leaders and chaplains. But one of the things that I did was we, I went out to the outback, to Uluru, and um, went on a, you know, a short camping walkabout trip there, where you slept outside in rolls um, around a fire. And I looked up at the sky and the stars were all in different places. Mm. And I laid and listened to this older man who was traveling with his daughter and his granddaughter tell me and tell us and then also the Australians who were there about the stars. And I realized that all of the constellations that I had grown up looking at in the country in Oklahoma were in different places. Mm-hmm. And it changed, it changed my world. In fact, like right now, as I'm telling this story, I actually wonder if it is the seed of when contextual realities became real to me. But like, I can feel it in my bones that something shifted when I realized that half the world saw the constellations in a different place than I did. Yes, that's so cool. Australia is on my life list to visit. Colorado. My husband and I went for my birthday one year, right, right before the pandemic, maybe. And just... Just seeing these, like, physical land map things. that I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was just beautiful and expansive and felt like I was, like, in the Wild West. <laughs> and I have grown up in the southeastern United States, you know. Mine, I feel like, is very cliche. And when I was uh, 15, I went on a youth pilgrimage and one of our stops was the Grand Canyon, and one of our stops was the Painted Desert. Mm -hmm. And I had never been out to that part of the United States before. And with a landscape that is totally different than the Mid-Atlantic, which is where I've always lived, and realizing how small and short my lifetime is. I'll say um, I'm going to pull a Nia um, and go with two. Uh, the first I will say, uh, was actually when I went to ghost ranch in New Mexico, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and first time I really saw the beauty of mountains that didn't have trees like that. 
Um, like just, I had never really seen the, that kind of landscape growing up in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Um, there's just a new landscape for me, but it was also a place where I hiked on my own and was making some important to borrow Hannah's word for 2024, apparently discernment, uh, did some real intentional reflection. The other one is, is like I traveled overseas for the first time in 2019 and was able to actually go to Bethlehem. And being in Bethlehem forever changed my understanding of everything, especially as I put my hands on a wall and saw the art on a wall. And um, yeah, we could unpack that in a whole other episode too. But that um, seeing the story in the present of what's going on there now in light of the stories from the past um, and then where I live. Um, yeah, it changed me forever. I I could only think of answering this question in a little different way, particularly because it is so recent, which is that a place that changed me um, is the last place that I lived. Um, mm. Because so since recording this season and recording the last season, which we did a few months ago, I moved for a second time. Um, and, you know, the way that that place changed me most significantly was it pushed me to understand my own resilience has a limit. And I, I truly have come to understand a great portion of what I will and won't do and who I will and will not be. Mm. Yes. Love that. Well, place changes us a lot. Um, we talk about it again, uh, about how on-site or, or online, it's all in person. Place, uh, physical location uh, deeply impacts how we view, how we move through change. So as we move in, welcome back, friends, to uh, the final episode of season two. Yes. <laughs> so here we go. So. So change is not only something we face, but also a lot of times something we anticipate, shape or organize and advocate for. While we often talk about the tropes and the negative, which we've done that quite a bit here and there, this one is a bit more life giving. Um, this quote is attributed to Gandhi. It says, be the change you want to see in the world. Now, here's the spoiler alert. Apparently, Gandhi never said that. Yeah. Womp womp. Uh, this is what Gandhi actually said. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man, I will say as a person, changes their own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards them. This is the divine mystery supreme. A wonderful thing it is and the source of our happiness. We need not wait to see what others do. So are you telling me that they took this profound thing and turned it into Gandhi kitsch? <laughs> they did. That is everywhere. Be mm -hmm. the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hear the larger quote in the context, how does it affect your understanding of that reduced cliche? I the the first thing I thought of like with this contextualization is that like how is the question of how much have we suffered by 
acting as if our autonomy as people is the only thing that can drive us in the world and not our interactions with one another. Mm. Yes. Amen. Amen. Like I am pretty confident that it was an American who had been um, influenced by toxic individualism Mm -hmm. who took that Gandhi quote and summarized it in a way that made it so individualistic. Mm. It was actually reduced by. Uh, no, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I googled this really fast, and I know who did it. <laughs> but I would bet she's right. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that very first sentiment that we but mirror the world, and it works both ways. Two way street. Yeah, the reflection of us in the world, and the reflection of the world in us, and I like that much better than that other part. Mm-hmm. It like gives us a it gives me a place to acknowledge privilege without being um without using it as an excuse or without being completely burdened by it. Right? Like there's a there's space in here to find reality, the contextual realities, but also to push forward beyond whatever I think might be limiting me. Yes. And I loved what you said about burden because this first one, it's like, it's all on my shoulders to change the world. If I change myself enough, it's all, I'm the only one who can do it, which is not true. What I'm, what I'm seeing in this quote a little bit though, like is like when you see these two things together, I love the embodiment. Mm. Like the world of our body is where change happens. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> so if you want to say be the change you want to see in the world, like what mm. it's talking about is not, it, it, maybe it's not talking about it, like you're the only one to affect the change in the world. But if you want to see the world change, start with your own global experience within you. Like what needs to happy happen internally that could then contribute. It was just, it's just interesting. The embodiment language that is in the real quote that is lost when it's reduced. Yes. It's also really interesting. The last sentence, we need not wait to see what others do. So like, this makes me think a lot about family systems and how like when you change your relationship to someone or to a system, whether that be in your personal life or your organizational life, um, the system's going to react differently to you, but you don't make your decision about that change because you wait to make sure that the system is going to approve it. It makes me go back to that last episode where we were talking about who gets to consult on our changes versus who gets to just just know about them. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to make our own kitsch with this, guys. Our own phrase? Because all the kitsch is in the reduced, redacted, unhelpful version. Well, I will say, though, like, is it unhelpful? I'm going to push on that a little bit. Is the reduced, because let me ask you a question. Like, if all you had was this big one and you didn't have this smaller bite-sized version, would it have affected so many people's like conscience or mind would have had some sort of impact? Like in other words, like we have embodied spirituality as our value, but we also have the description like the container for it. I think having a shortened version is the way that you can recall it. Right. 
I don't mind that it has been reduced to a phrase. I just don't like the phrase that they reduced it to. I think is my issue. I am not a wordsmith, as many people know. So I can't come up with a phrase, but I know that I don't like this one. Maybe if we liked the totality of history as much, <laughs> yes. we would have a better, we would have a better, you know, for foundation for, um, for contextualizing things like this on a more streamlined kind of through line of humanitarian basis. Well, you also think about Gandhi, like as someone who did like the hunger strike and everything. So like you look at yeah. it as a person changes their own nature, like the hunger strike, his nature actually changed because of his hunger strike, because he was trying to embody the suffering of the world that was actually being created. Mm-hmm. I also find myself sort of wanting to ask some curious questions. I mean, in some ways I wish we had mm-hmm. Indian colleagues on the call with us who could say, yep. who mm-hmm. might, probably know a lot more about Gandhi as a person and have family members who'd interacted with him to know like, okay, how do they read and hear this? Because it's really easy. I think from a distance to idolize Gandhi as a leader and what we know about the own, the leaders in our own country um, who were leading movements of um, civil rights during that time period in human rights is that they were complicated mm. people. Yeah. And I'm sure that Gandhi was too. Absolutely. Ah, that's actually got me thinking. I mean, I have I have dear friends, um, and and people in my neighborhood and everything who are of Indian heritage, and um, now you got me thinking that I, I should ask them. Yes, <laughs> for sure. We often um, kind of phrase change with a clarifier right social change is one that you hear a lot um sometimes you'll hear it with something on the other side of it like a change agent um on, on that piece of it there's others um you could even share other phrases that you've heard of but how does change relate to a commitment to the common good when we think about this quote that we see I and mean, we've all the other episodes that we've talked about haven't really pushed so much they've been about the organization or the personal growth but here we're looking at change as it connects to the common good and gandhi's work and there's others social change change agent how is all that related interconnected So I want to say I don't think change in general does. I think that how Learning Forte approaches change as the company that serves mission-driven organizations, we're defining it down. And once again, like in an earlier episode, Hannah talked about how we've gotten clearer on our values and the kind of work we did. And some clients don't work with us anymore because of that. This is a place where this is narrowed down. And I think we have to claim and I wouldn't want anyone to hear this conversation and think that we're saying that this applies to change overall. I think that for those of us for whom our values as an organization or your values as a person involve that commitment to the common good or that commitment to a religious perspective or that commitment to serving others, however you might define it, if that's where your deepest values are coming and that's where the energy is coming, then your change does have to relate to that or you would be in um, opposition to that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, we don't have to go here, but like there's a whole thing about like, AI and what's happening regarding that. So this question for me thinks about how do you 
This is my term, y'all. It's coming more into focus. How do you discern that a change is for the common good? I, I yeah, I was gonna say something that uh, what just keeps circling in my head is the arguably equally kitschy phrase of "pick your battles" mm-hmm. or competing goods. Mm. Uh huh. And to relate it back to an earlier episode about my favorite subject, fear. This, like that fear of unintended consequences is something that if you are intentionally thoughtful about whether your change is for the common good, mm-hmm. you you have to accept that that is a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Now, whether you know how that's going to manifest itself, there is no way of knowing. But to to accept that even though you are so committed and you've been in th- intentional, thoughtful conversation with people and blah, blah, you got a movement, whatever, you're all moving. This is for the common good. There has to be a moment where you say, and this, there is a high possibility that this is going to have unintentional consequences. And I think the, our pride Mm. gets in the way of accepting that. Our pride of saying, I am doing something for the common good, or I'm starting this thing for the common good, and it is for everyone's advantage, our pride in that gets in the way. Well, I was going to say, like, who who defines what the common good is? Right. Oh. And who's the common? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, this is, it's getting me thinking about all sorts of stuff. Like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's listening to this, what you hear here is that these aren't easy answers for us. We don't choose and use these words because we have pat definitions for them. We choose and use these words because we feel like they're powerful and that we're committed to struggling and questioning and um, wrestling with them. Assuming that that wrestling means that we're going to be changed in the process of the wrestling. A biblical quote that comes to mind (laughs) Sarah quoted the Bible. <laughs> now, and somebody correct me if I'm misquoting. I know, I know, I can rely on y'all for that. Is Google Greg? Google it. What, did did Jesus say something about serving the least of these? Yes. Not serving what we call today the common good, which I think could be sort of a a term we've adapted as a society because it's easier to swallow. Like in terms of math, talk about least common denominators. Yeah. Or the sum. Like, is there something there? Yeah, there is. It's interesting because, you know, that actually comes out of ma- out of, out of Matthew. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because Jesus has all this like list of things. Whenever you feed people, whenever you serve people, whenever you see people, like it's all these things. And it's, and, and it actually ends by saying whenever you've done these things. So it's like whenever you've done any one of these things to the least of these. And so that's an interesting piece is that you're exactly right. Like common good may be our Americanization of that idea in the same way that the Americanization of the quote earlier. I don't know. You're blowing my brain. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't want it to say like I don't want to. I don't want to come across as saying like I understand Jesus to mean the least of these as you know the disadvantaged. I know that's also sort of a problematic in the way we understand uh, societal constructs. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that I mean, it would it would take a really solid 
convincing for anyone to tell me that Jesus was not on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the weak and the wounded consistently. Um, because that's just the way it is like throughout those stories, like the, the bent, the inclination is always on the side of those who are on the down and out of, of empire. Um, but what I will say, I think the question that you're raising Sarah related to that, I think is that when we care for those very people, it's not like me. I'm thinking like what you said in an episode before, when you're asking you to respect me, I'm not, you're not giving something up. <laughs> like, there, there is a mutual benefit <laughs> like uh, Ibram X. Kendi talks about this in, in anti-racism work. Like we have to appeal to the self-interest of people when it comes to combating oppression. And like when oppression is eliminated, it's actually good for the common. Like it's good for all of us for oppression to cease to quote <laughs> for all oppression to cease to quote the Christmas Carol. So I think it's a both. And it's just where is your starting place? I find it fascinating because I did a great Google just now to make sure I had the exact text in front of me of that part of the Beatitudes. And it's interesting about who all, like who's named in the Beatitudes where Jesus names everybody who's blessed. And it's like poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry, um, you know, thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, suffer persecution. Um, and it's interesting to me that those are all the ones who are named because you could find space for all humanity in that list. But you can find space for all humanity when we're acting out of a certain mode of being, not when we are taking advantage or privilege. My image for the common good is a rising tide raises all boats. No matter where your boat is, if you are promoting and contributing to the common good, a rising tide raises all boats. I think when we talk about the common good, though, like it, it really is important for us to see that, like, yes, I think you named it that like not all change um, is going to move us towards necessarily the common good. But one of the we've talked about how change is Octavia Butler did talk about. We've shared this in a lot of different spaces in some of our work about how change is the one inescapable truth and how we shape change or our movement through that is what really is um, the test, I would say, of the common good and our values can be the lens through which we view that. Um, but when we think about like change and the common good, like what what allows you to kind of filter whether or not that change is going to move towards the common good or not? I mean, I know we just said the values, but like how, how have you addressed that in your own life or in leadership? It comes back to discernment. Like what you're thinking in your brain. This is for me. I'm going to use an I statement. <laughs> what I am thinking of in my brain, how I am going to approach this change, what I think, what I think should be addressed for the common good. Maybe. And it is in with conversation with other people where they're like, mm, maybe, but with a tweak. Or that would be great for your household and your privilege and whatever, but that's not actually, we need to take it a step further or we need to keep, keep moving this thought forward because we have not arrived there yet. Yeah. 
the conversation, the individualist versus the collaborative. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think you can make decisions for a collaborative in, in an individual space. It's important to acknowledge privilege, but it's also important to not be weighed down by it and to not be parallels, paralyzed by it. And like one of the things that I had a great therapist who helped me see is that if I carry my privilege too heavy, then I don't have the ability to leverage it to also invite other people into the conversation. Well, I think what you talked about, I, I had an aha moment about how we as a company can have decided to leverage our privilege of what we have discerned is for the common good. And is that is that we offer small organizational pricing on certain products. We're able to do that because other organizations who have had more privilege have helped us. And now we feel and have discerned that it is part of our values and common good to live it out in this particular way. When we think about the intersection of change and the common good and how do we make those decisions about what the common good looks like, I, I think of a lot of times it, it goes back to, for us at Learning Forte, one of the things we talk about a lot is not only contextual realities, but we talk about curious engagement. And uh, what does the common good look like? It could look, what does the common good look like in terms of in your organization, like the common good of your company? What does the common good look like in terms of your congregation? Maybe those are examples of the common good where like what is going to be the benefit to the whole? Um, those are some good questions. But it really for companies, I think it really comes down to asking the questions like, what do you need? What is of value to you? What would help you reach X, Y, and Z? Like, and I, I think a lot of times we just assume that sometimes the navigation of change is going to be great. Um, but if we don't ask the curious engagement questions, we might not be able to get to that common good, not only on a social level, but on the organizational level related to where we're leading and the places that we are either employed by or running. Correct. That's a really helpful um, perspective. And I think it makes me think back to a conversation that you and Hannah and I had a few weeks ago, which was, do we need to define what learning forte means by the common good? And we went round and round about this. And we in the end came down to saying, no, because that's the contextual reality of all the clients that we work with. And so while we may have some internal definitions of what the common good is, we also are really aware that that's work that all the different people we work with need to engage for themselves. And I think maybe the reason I really want everybody to engage in that conversation organizationally is because it prevents us from engaging and embracing change for change's sake. Change for change's sake is not something we need, but change that helps produce or move toward whatever your organization defines as the common good is worth the pain that the change is going to include. I, one of the things I've wrestled with a little bit too has been like we so often try to tackle the 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 big, right? Like be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> oh God, mm -hmm. the world is a big place. And I've I wrestle with that a lot. Like I mean, I I feel all the feels when it comes to social realities and issues. And then I I I I, I 
get tempted to en- entertain the work of slacktivism and, and thinking that I can do s- social change by making a post on Instagram, like, or whatever, like, not that you can't, but like, there's more to it than that. Like, and so I bear the weight of all this big stuff. And so I really got down to like kind of a rhythm for me is when I get into those overwhelmed spaces about pursuing change, um, I start to kind of think like, what is the simple like offering I can make the small connection that I could explore. And then what is the somewhere, the place that can really like, I can connect to. So this, the simple, the small, the somewhere. I love that. Like that's, that's kind of what I landed on. And like a lot of times that can kind of lead us to a better understanding. Well, if I do that, like that'll at least help. I say this a lot in marketing, help us move the needle forward a little bit in terms of the common good. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to change the global good, <laughs> like, but maybe the common good, like as in, in my home or maybe the common good in terms of my local community maybe the common good in terms of my place of employment. Like those are the simple and small somewhere places that we could start with when we consider change. I, I want to invite any of you into this, but like, I think sometimes the simple and the local pieces we do are much more complicated than we ever imagined. Like this whole idea to build a company that really valued and made sure that people wanted to thrive professionally and personally. Um, I never imagined all of the different realities and manifestations of conversations that would come out of that. been some real influencers when you consider how you lead towards and shape change for the common good all right i have an answer to this one i was i really gave this a lot of thought because unlike some other people on our team who read very uh profound deep (laughs) thought leadership books and pieces i'm not one of those people so then i thought about Yeah, there's Greg with his like big, big old book. Um, Where are the places in my life where I'm influenced? And I have made it to this place that I have no shame in saying Instagram. Yeah. I am influenced all the time on Instagram. And there are two accounts in particular who have figured out how to use their platform for what I would consider the common good. And um, if you want to look them up, the first one is Jenny Reimold. Wife of Oriole player, Nolan Reimold. You're welcome, Greg. And the second one is um, Abby Aris. And in figuring out this whole social media, quote, influencer life and whatever and whatever shape that has taken, they have been so, what I have observed to be intentional of what they share, how they share, clarity of why they're doing it, and are really starting to, I see, promote change for the common good. I think that I've been observing people lead by example my whole life, and one person is my mom. So shout out to Carol. Nia shouted out her mom last season. We have talked about getting our moms on a call. I think that would be a great. Hi, Carol. Yes. Nia, uh, Miriam. 
Miss Miriam and Carol need to get together. But yeah, she is someone I've I've watched and um have been influenced by probably the most in terms of how she leads from a she's an, a retired educator. So always through curious engagement and asking questions and uh very rarely makes assumptions about people before she learns something. Inez, um, my sisters, we're, I don't think words are enough to to emphasize every day how how good it is to be an older sister and an oldest sister. Um, because every time we're together, like one of them will say something or do something and I see myself in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, I don't know. It's like magic. I feel like if it's a good thing and I'm like, oh, they're my, my good met their good. And they took it along the way. Um, ever since, you know, learning Forte got serious about being a company and I started to read a lot more in entrepreneurial and, you know, even for-profit leadership spaces, I've been influenced by some of the stories I've heard there, but one that's influenced me the most has been Dick's Sporting Goods, and you may or may not know that they have an all-female, um, everybody at their sea level is a woman now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the coolest, <laughs> part, the coolest part is I needed to go in and buy some workout clothes and buy some clothes recently, and I went in there and I found stuff that fit. And I realized that I was like, oh, they've had this values practice alignment piece that they said they were going to do that they've done. Mm-hmm. Investment in development of women's athletic and comfortable clothes that fit real women who are doing this across a lot of different age ranges. Um, you know, like they've made this major investment as a company in the development of sports bras, which is a huge, like, practical thing that fits their values. And so, like, I don't know any of these women. I would be fangirled to meet any of them. But um, they've influenced me because of what they've been clear about their values. And then when I walk in their stores, I see it. Sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, we'll send this episode to them. Maybe they'll come join us sometime. We can just we can tag them. We'll tag them when we post. Will it. you yeah. tag? Will you tag my in, my Instagram influencers sure. too? All right. Yeah. They're gonna be like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, you all know. I mean, I I quote like whether it's Octavia Butler or others. Like, but for me, it's poets and artists. Like, um, I, I, my favorite two poets, um, are Mao Darwish and, uh, Naomi Shihab Nye. Those are two of my favorites, um, that, and Julia Esquivel is another one. These are three folks that come from, uh, contexts of oppression. Um, some of them have even been exiled and some of their writings have even been, uh, banned in certain parts of the, of the world. And it's reminded me that even though their contexts and their place and their maybe like access or whatever have changed their influence and their creativity 
their their values, their voice have not stopped. Um, they continue to offer them into the world, and um, and in a way that like. Like I, I used to write so, I mean, I'm pressed. I used to like, I was, I'm Presbyterian clergy. So it's all about words and statements and all that kind of stuff. Poetry gets all that out of the way and just like writes, right? Like, and gets it out there and speaks some beautiful truth. So when I navigate change, I, t- I tend to turn towards those poets and artists. You want to talk kitsch as we wrap this sucker up? Land this plane. Because sometimes I think kitsch helps us get through change pretty well because, like, it's hard, right? Change is hard, and doing all this work can take a lot of energy, and sometimes we need something that's not going to, like, involve a lot of mental energy um, to help lead us through the change. So what is something kitschy that you possess that reminds you of the value of your ability to actually affect change or move towards change or leverage it the thing that i have is i have a set of earrings that are dragonflies that all of the members of the small church's big impact collective also have a set of dragonfly earrings and when i am feeling incredibly vulnerable especially in my church environment but sometimes in my learning forte environment too about the change that i am promoting i wear them because There is something so powerful and so beautiful about a dragonfly, one of the oldest creatures that has continued to evolve. They're all different, and um, many of them, if you see them from one direction, they're sort of muted and maybe um, dull in color. But if you see them when the sunlight hits them, they are incredibly bright and iridescent. My card is to go around is You Matter and You are like no other being ever created since the beginning of time. And so not only does that like, yes, it sort of leans into the more individualistic Americanized version of the Gandhi quote, but also everyone else is like no other being you've ever created. Sorry, no other being ever created. So like not only do you bring something to the conversation or to the world, but like so does every other person. Mine is um, a sign. I've had two signs this season. Uh, It is over our front door on the inside when you go out. And it is a biblical quote. And it is from Thessalonians. And it says, in everything, give thanks. That when I leave my door, I can choose to have a posture of gratitude. And I feel like that type of posture can go a long way to affect change. Um, my kitsch um, is actually here's a funny thing. I just broke it. <laughs> it's a rock. <laughs> oh my goodness! Nothing is more kitschy than rock. Like it's the laziest form of art because it's just is. <laughs> uh, and it's a piece of granite actually from Honduras. Um, and I used to do a lot of uh, partnerships and collaborations with teenagers and um, and faith leaders and whatnot in. Uh, in Honduras and Tegucigalpa and different regions throughout there, uh, folks who lived in those communities. And um, we would do a lot of collaborations. And I remember one time 
they took us up on this mountain and uh, they said like this is a view of our entire like community all the kids wanted to take us up to like the highest point of their neighborhood and it was interesting because they wanted to take us but the adults wanted to take us on like a fundraising trip <laughs> instead and the kids like no we want them to see this cool place and so we ended up going with the kids which was awesome um, and um, went up to this tall point took some rock with us and I have this as a reminder because then a year later they invited me and another person to come back down to kind of facilitate like a workshop for some of their their leaders um, their, their young leaders and they told me they said we decided to change the name of our youth group and I asked them what's the name of your youth group and they said Generacion Cambia which means generation change and so I have this rock that I just broke that changed its form. <laughs> now I, uh, I have that as a reminder that change happens, especially in small movements of young people. Um, and it's just really neat, neat to see that. So friends, wherever you are, uh, know that you can be the change you want to see in the world or you can but mirror the world. <laughs> Right, wherever it is. Um, but look for the change that you can participate in as a leader or that you can navigate through, that you can shape for the well-being of others. Thanks for listening. Friends, it's been good. Another season coming to a close, but we will see you in April. Bye, guys. Learning Forte out. Thanks for listening to Live, Learn, Repeat, a podcast hosted by Learning Forte's Stacey Williams-Duncan, Hannah Graham, Greg Klimovitz, Sarah Lawing, and Nia McKenney. Executive production of this podcast is by Greg Klimovitz. Our audio production team is Nia McKenney and Sarah Lawing. Help us grow our podcast learning community by leaving us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and by sharing on your socials. If you'd like to learn more about Learning Forte and our various learning and leadership programs, consulting services, and digital platforms, check out our website at www.learningforte.com. <laughs>